welcome there it is ladies and gentlemen we just got off a show a little while ago talking about traditional real estate but if you don't want to work with tenants leaky toilets that sort of thing then maybe this episode's for you let's get this one on the road here we go shut up and sit down look a business can give you everything you want in life prestige wealth freedom it can also take everything away from you this show is for those who are willing to take that risk these are the real-life stories of entrepreneurs. But before we start, I have one small favor to ask. Please leave a comment. It can be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business Yeah, all right, look it. When you think of real estate, you usually think tenants. I know I do. Investing in real estate usually comes with broken toilets, property damage, and so many other tenant-related issues. Well, it doesn't have to. What if you could invest in real estate but skip the tenant problem, skip the toilet issues, and still benefit from the cash flow, depreciation, and all the other perks real estate businesses have to offer? Well, that's exactly what today's guest is all about. This developer builds self-storage units and is here to tell us all about this opportunity. So let's do this. Let's talk self-storage investments with Joe Evangelisti. All right, Joe, man, welcome to the program. <laughs> Thanks for having me. appreciate it. Uh, what do you think of the intro, dude? I got you laughing. I told you it was going to be. That's pretty wild. That's pretty wild, man. I've done. I, I do probably. I don't know, fifty to seventy-five a year uh, podcasts, and uh, that's pretty wild. I've never seen an intro like that before. So good work. Well, there we go, man. I told you. Let's have some fun. Let's talk about what it is that you do in the best light possible. So uh, I'm going to start off with the most obvious question: How the hell yeah. did you get into this space, man? Everybody thinks the traditional real estate stuff. You took a different route. How'd that happen? Yeah, no, actually, I think I took the traditional route, right? Like I, I was hearing somebody did a podcast the other day. And they said like, uh, basically, you know, if you look at like real estate, like like high school, like freshman year is wholesaling contracts, right? And then sophomore year is getting into single family and, you know, junior year is getting into some kind of multifamily, triplex, quadplex, something like that. And, you know, eventually we graduate out of high school and get into like major commercial projects. So, you know, I I started in 07, probably arguably like the worst time ever to get real started in real estate, right? And I started flipping houses, um, but I very quickly got humbled and had to become a landlord and was able to, you know, pivot, um, keep the asset and and reset it and get the, uh, you know, get the principal back, but uh, ended up with long-term tenants. That's not something I, I set out to do. Uh, and then fast forward, you know, 10, 12 years of doing that, um, we flipped about a thousand houses, different contracts, single families, new construction, uh, wholesales, brokerage business. I've done a lot of what you can do in real estate. And then about three or four years ago, we said, you know what, we got we to figure out a way to pivot into something that's more scalable, more manageable. And ultimately, that's how we ended up in commercial and self-storage. Dude. All right. First of all, I've never heard it said in, in the high school reference, which is perfect because I'm literally in my high school classroom. No students this period, but uh, it, it's one of those great analogies that you put in here. So let me yeah. ask you about that, because at the, at, the, at the beginning, when you first got into flipping properties and you said you got humbled, walk me through some of that stuff, because you know, you're know you right. Yeah. 2007 was a pretty bad time when it comes for the real estate market, but bad times equal great opportunities. And I feel like we're about to enter another bad time in the real estate market, quote unquote, bad time, but it could open up so many opportunities. So walk me through that humbling story. Yeah, hundred percent. They say adversity plants the seed for opportunities. Right. And I think that, yeah. uh, 
you know, I look back at that time and I call it the lucky time of my life because I had just got out of the military, spent six years in the Navy. Uh, I got out with my entire savings and decided I'm going to be a flipper, right? I knew construction really well. I've been in construction my whole life. I grew up as a son of a general contractor. And, you know, so I loved construction. I was confident on that aspect of things. But what I didn't understand was transaction management, mortgages, banking, all this other stuff that you have to, you have to learn in order to flip a house. And so, you know, we were about three flips deep and I was doing it the old fashioned way. I was putting 20% down. I was going to the bank, buying the asset. They would give me a construction loan, the whole thing. Uh, and so, you know, again, pretty quickly, you know, in, in early 08, middle 08, you know, the market just came out from underneath of us. So it was kind of softening the whole time we were doing these flips until it just like popped. And we were like, man, we got to pivot. We got to put tenants in place. We got to stabilize the asset. Like I said, we were lucky enough to get long-term financing. I actually just sold those properties probably three or four years ago. Um, and, you know, we were able to stabilize it. But what I what I didn't get was all my principal back, right? I had all my, my savings account invested in these three houses. And so that adversity taught me like, hey, there's got to be a better way. You know, I used to read all these books and, you know, have all these, you know, um, uh, at-home study courses back in the day when they came on like cassette decks. And, you know, they yeah. talked about, you know, um, private money and, and other OPM and, and leveraging you know, um, to create opportunity. And so, you know, on my fourth, fifth and, you know, so on deal, we did hundred percent with private money. We got into the, the Burr method. We got into, you know, actually flipping, you know, by the time the market started to come around the opportunity to buy short sales and pre foreclosures and things like that was skyrocketing. And so, um, you know, we were able to pivot and, you know, not just be flippers, but end up becoming landlords and flippers. I love that story because I, I feel like a lot of people have gotten into that real estate space and then they hit the wall, right? Exactly yeah. what you're talking about where you're going and doing the traditional financing methods. That's where I got stuck. Like yeah. I got myself to a position where I was like, okay, well, I have cash, not enough to finance my own stuff, not enough to go on to the next deal. And I ended up pivoting to a different industry, but you yeah. kept at it, right? You kept at it. You, you repositioned yeah. some of your properties, selling them off a couple years ago, which is a great move, probably at the higher end of the market. Uh, yeah. So that, that was awesome. So walk me through the, uh, the self-storage. How, how do you end? I mean, obviously this is senior year now. You've been doing this for a yeah. while. You end, ended up going into some more of commercial development stuff, but why the, why the storage units? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Uh, I get asked this a lot, but, you know, essentially it just came down to it, it was it was beginning to really wear on us. You know, our last year that we were doing single family, I remember the Q4, I gathered up with my my business partner. He was my COO at the time. And I was like, all right, man, we did. I think we're going to do 88 deals this year. Like, what do you want to do next year? You want to do 110, 120? He was like, dude, I don't ever want to do 88 again. And I was like, <laughs> thank God you said that. Right. Because me neither. You know, it was just burnout. You know, it's just when you're when you're doing that, that type of volume, you know, it's just always transaction management. Like, are we going to close on Friday? We got three deals closing this week. I got bills to pay. And, you know, I used to have this running joke. I could put 400 grand in the bank on Friday and my, my team would spend it by Monday afternoon to be down to zero. And that's what it was like. It was constantly chasing our tail. And so, you know, I used to you know, look at my tax return and be like, man, I'm making money, but I don't know where it is. And, you know, it was just because of all the motion, all the uh, the commotion and the team. You know, we had 45 employees. We had a huge payroll, we had huge overhead. And so I, it just felt like, man, the only way I'm going to ever be happy is if I just do more deals, I just do more deals. So I wanted to pivot to something that was more manageable, more scalable, uh, easy to build a team around, more efficient, more effective. And that's what we ended up with. Now I have a team of 11 and we do about 10 times the gross revenue that we were doing back then. So let's talk about it. What does it take to actually develop one of those places, one of these places? Like uh, what, what's involved and how's it different from flipping? 
Yeah, I mean, look, it's a lot of work. It's a lot more zeros, but at the end of the day, it's it's concrete, steel, and asphalt, right? Like I know you mentioned the toilet thing multiple times. You know, we got Class A facilities, hundred thousand square foot net rentable, two toilets. You know, like mm-hmm. little teeny mini kitchen for the kitchenette for the for the uh, break room. Like you're not talking tile and, and wall colors and 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 trims and you know countertops and flooring. I mean, it's concrete floors. Ninety nine percent of the properties concrete floors. So, you know, once you baseline your design for the first one, it's easy to kind of replicate. And now we're doing it in five different states. So when you're looking at these, I mean, obviously right now, demand is still up for for property. People are building, you know, multi-unit complexes like crazy, which means they don't got a lot of self-storage. They need facilities like yours to be put in place. How are you going Mm -hmm. about picking the market that you're going to go into next? Yeah, I think that's really our secret sauce, you know, from from, you know, a decade of wholesaling and going direct to seller and negotiating deals and finding off market properties. I kind of just took all that knowledge and just drug it into the self storage business and said, hey, if it worked there, it should work here. Uh, and the interesting thing is it's 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 working really well. So well, we're, we're, we're building a massive pipeline and we've actually started to entitle and improve deals and sell them to other developers um, because our process for off market stuff has been so, you know, uh, kind of effective. Right. So. Um, yeah, it's 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 finding the right MSA that's growing. We want to be in the tertiary market outside of the major city. So, you know, like right now I got four deals outside of Houston all around the city, not in the city. So, you know, I want to be where, you know, the the, the what do they call it? The path of uh, the path of progress, you know, where people are starting to move out um, in these major cities that are they're growing rapidly. You know, Texas and Florida and you know, believe it or not, Ohio is like the fourth fastest uh, growing state of the country, too. So I want to look for places where people are going. Um, but we're still underwriting by today's standards, right? So that means, you know, five years from now, if it becomes 20, 30, 40,000 more people in a three mile radius, it's just going to improve the, uh, the ability for us to rent those units. And I know like in real estate, they always talk about how there's more business than any one entrepreneur can handle, right? Sure. And I know you're in competition with some of those big chain uh, storage units. How does that even affect you as far as you growing your business and scaling. I don't, I don't, it doesn't sound like it's even affecting you at all, really. Yeah. So it's a great question. I actually, I actually could care less about our competition. I don't even know who they are. I, I don't even pay attention to that. And I never really have truthfully. I mean, I know who's in my backyard and I kind of know what they're doing, but you know, we, we focus hundred percent on our success and what it's going to take for us to win and problems we have to solve. If I, if I spend bad with on what my, my competition is doing and I'm just wasting time. Right. Um, that being said, you know, I know that there is 70% of this industry is owned by mom and pop. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, there's this massive amount of cube smarts and, you know, extra space and life storage and public storage. Yeah, there's a lot of them, but guess what? They only make up 30% of the overall mm-hmm. units in this country. So we're, we're working with a 70% ownership of mom and pops, value adds, potentially deferred maintenance, older, older projects that we can make new again, um, you know, those type of things. So there's still a whole lot of juice worth squeezing. All right, let's talk some fun stuff, okay? Because yeah. if I got somebody who owns storage unit facilities, I got to ask them, mm-hmm. what's up with the storage war stuff, man? Like, is that stuff like legit? <laughs> Do you ever find some cool stuff in these things? Are people walking away as often as, as you know, we see on TV? Or is it just kind of like hustle and bustle because it sells, uh, you know, TV time and ad space? Yeah, I'll tell you the truth. I'm pretty distant from that part of the, the business because we're, we're straight developers, right? So my goal is to build a soft storage facility and hand it off to a management company. That's why we build primarily class A sites. I want 80,000 plus square foot. And I'm also getting the big boys to, to, to 
underwrite the deal before we ever break ground or for, before we ever buy the ground. So, you know, again, I'm going to Cube, I'm going to Extra Space, I'm going to Life Storage. We're going to have a management contract with one of those guys. And they've already said, hey, this is an area we want to be or we're already at. We know that the competitive advantages, you know, we already have 10 sites in a, you know, so many mile radius. So we know we can fill it. Um, so when that, when that time comes to actually manage and fill and put tenants in place, we're kind of hands off the management companies handling that. So are you maintaining the assets still um, after the development or are you just on the development and then kind of sell it off after that? Yeah, no, we'll, st we'll still own the project. Um, and again, that's what's that, I think that's what's interesting. About 70% of all of them are mom and pop or small business like myself that own these things. So a lot of times when you see those management companies, they only own about 60% on average of their own assets. You know, you see a cube smart, there's a 40% chance it's owned by a guy like me or you. Um, so, you know, again, we're going to keep that. Of course, we're going to handle deferred maintenance. But again, there's a lot, there's, there's very little maintenance in a in a steel building with 50 year warranty roof and, and, and you know, brick and concrete exterior, concrete floors. Um, you know, the internal components are, you know, exchangeable. The walls get beat up, stuff like that. But, you know, really, there's very little maintenance on a site like this because you don't have a lot of working electricity and plumbing and fixtures getting used and things like that. Again, it's nowhere near like an apartment complex or anything. You know, the wearables are very, very limited. So let's talk funding then in that case. Um, are you doing it like like a syndication where you get your funding? Are you using, uh, you know, when you, you talked about OPM, but there's a number of different ways that you can use other people's money. How are yeah. you funding these projects and getting them underwritten? Yeah, it's a great question. So up until like literally this month, we've done all PPM syndications, individual projects, one by one, gone out and raised the money, you know, uh, collect, you know, say 30 cents on the dollar to, or 30 percent of the project. And then we go get bank long term debt financing. Um, the fund is actually going to go live here in about two weeks. Um, and when that happens, that'll be a better pool of money spread out along and distributed a, a, along uh, many, many more deals. Uh, and things like that. So we're we're actually transitioning into the fund strategy right now. How does how does a a regular investor get involved? Are there certain limitations? Do I gotta kind of gotta know a guy? Hey, I know Joe yeah. personally. I, I get the hookup on these types of investments. How does that work? Yeah. So number one, we only take accredited investors, which I'm sure you're you're pretty. It's pretty common hearing that. Um, and it's for two reasons. You know, construction and and, and development and and real estate. It's a risk. You know, I, I don't want to take someone's hundred grand and that was their entire life savings. And then, you know, they have nothing left, you know, uh, not that we, we expect that, but you still have to kind of plan for that. God, God forbid what happens if there's a natural disaster or something, you know, there's an issue. Right. Um, that being said, accredited investors only the the PPMs that we've had up to date, usually the minimum investments, hundred grand. The uh, the fund itself will be a 250 investment and we'll be more like, you know, family office, close to institutional type investors at that point, I think. And uh, as far as liquidation or, or like return on investment, how does that work for investors? Yeah, so we uh, we pay a pref on the fund, um, you know, without getting into like details on the fund, stuff like that. It's, it's going to be a five-year fund. Uh, there'll be a pref payment on it. Um, we actually sell a percentage of equity on each deal, kind of like we would in a syndication to the fund. So there's still uh, ongoing uh, equity that'll have a buyout kind of agreement on the back end. And, you know, like the goal of the fund is to get between 14 and 18% minimum for the investor. I'm sure there'll be some upside. I'm sure there'll be some deals that we that we sell off early and we have an upside potential. Um, you know, we're selling a deal right now. It's basically at CO. Um, there's a lot of buyers out there right now that are actually buying without tenants in place and they'll do the ramp up and they'll do the, they'll, they'll, they'll get the management agreement in place. Um, so it's a very competitive market still, even with the kind of crazy interest rate scenarios and things going on in the economy.
Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You got into the market in 2007. You went through that downward cycle. You saw what happened to a lot of homeowners, to a lot of investors who got hit hard and humbled in different ways. Um, yeah. Where do you see this market now? How is that going to affect your business? Is it going to affect your business? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of like uh, like a lot of lot of folks. I'm I'm bullish on real estate if it's in the right market, in the right place, and the right the right cost, right? So. Uh, I think as the market, you know, maybe, maybe who knows what's going to happen. Everyone's, you know, doom and gloom thinking about the worst case scenario. It, the worst case scenario is generally the best case scenario for real estate investors. You know, it hurts for a minute and then you start to get acclimated to, okay, the, you know, we can buy them better. We can get the dirt at cheaper prices. There's big boxes are more available, right? We're doing a lot of big box conversions of old Sears and old Kmarts. Um, you know, so the availability of finding deals is going to increase. Uh, and like I say to people all the time, we're dealing with private money. There's always money in the ecosystem. You know, when the when the stock market goes down, it just means someone else got paid. You know, mm -hmm. so like it's not disappearing. So I think you know what we're what we're genuinely focused on is building a great community of partner investors that want to see their money put to work in great projects that are flexible to realize that sometimes things might take a little longer than expected because of all the crazy stuff going on in the market and supply chain issues and everything else. But at the end of the day, it's going to get done and it's going to be a project and it's going to be viable and we're all going to make really good money. Um, so I think patience is definitely going to be a key part of a, a lot of us going into this next three to five years. Yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I, I hear all over the board, man. I hear like, this is not going to be a big hiccup. I hear things from certain people. They're like, hey, don't worry. Uh, blah, blah, blah said next year we're going to go back down to 4% interest rates. Uh, I hear the sky is falling and, you know, pack your bags. It's all over going forward. Uh, yeah. It's all over the place, that market shift. Uh, yeah. let me ask you about some hiccups, right? Because I think, you know, a lot of times when, when we get to have the opportunity to talk to an investor like you at this point in your career, it sounds easy, right? It sounds like, oh, dude, we find a spot, we raise <laughs> the funds, we develop it, we, we hand it over to management. It's a done deal. We got it. But they don't always get to hear some of the hiccups that got you there, some of those humbling mistakes that allowed yep. you to make this an easy process. An easy process, you were in the Navy. My brother says SOPs are written in blood. The only reason why they're there is because somebody made a mistake, somebody got hurt, yep. and that process developed from there. So what are some of those hiccups or some of those, some of those, you know, blood, sweat, and tear mistakes that you had to make in order to get to this position where you have a, a smooth process? Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, you know, I don't know that there's any like one this mistake that pops up because, you know, we make mistakes every day. You know, there's change orders, there's challenges, there's but, you know, one thing I do, I recall vividly about this is years and years ago. My, one of my mentors, I remember like, you know, and, and getting to the point I'm trying to get to is I think as you're growing, the problems just get bigger and bigger and bigger. But we get really, really good at solving them. Right. I remember years ago, I literally couldn't make payroll one week and it was like 60 grand. And I was on the phone with one of my mentors and I was literally in tears. I'm like, I don't know what the, what I'm going to do, right? I'm going to curse on your show. Right. And, and he ended up lending me the 60 grand. He's like, get back to work. He's like, what I want is us being on the phone, having $600,000 problems, having $6 million problems. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing, right? When we're growing, it's not a matter. We're, we're always going to have a problem every week. I mean, literally I was on two calls today with major money, you know, problem question challenges, right? But they're not problems I could have handled 10 years ago. You know what I mean? I probably would have, I probably would have melted down, you know, where today it's like, okay, well, what's the solution? What are the options? What can we do? Who can we call? How do we fix it? And we just move forward. So, you know, I think with, with business and maturity and learning to solve problems, you're just looking to seek the next bigger problem. Right. And, you know, we would flip houses before where the budgets were a hundred grand. Now we do construction to budgets 10 million. 
You know, it's they're just more zeros. They're probably mostly the same problems. They just have bigger kind of consequences on the back of them. And, you know, I think the more you mature in business, the more you fail, you know, or, or fall forward and, and learn to fix that failure so you don't do it again. You just move on to that bigger next challenge, that bigger next problem. Oh man, you, you you I think you nailed it. That's like a strong mental shift. Literally, I'm uh, rereading uh, Tim Grover's book, Relentless. And today yeah. what stuck in my mind was when he said that stress is just pressure that you refuse to deal with. And like yep. you're literally kind of describing that right now. A $60,000 yep. monthly payroll can stress you the hell out if you're not making 60 grand in a month or you're not meeting that sort of thing. But as you start to level up, your problems start to level up. So let me ask you about like your own mindset going into this thing. Um, how do you get yourself to kind of refocus and be problem solving versus like what you, what you described just a little while earlier, like panic mode and crying. Cause I mean, dude, it could go either way at any given point with any given problem. How do you just kind of realign and go forward now? Yeah. You know, I do, I, I do a lot of executive coaching, so I have a lot of kind of mantras around this. And you know, one of those things is where focus goes, energy flows. Right. And so when we stay stuck in focusing on the negative and focusing on the problem and focusing on the, Oh my God, what's going to happen next? We're not solving problems. Like it's almost like that, that, you know, you asked me about the, the competition. Why spend energy and time and effort on focusing on what the competition's doing when I'm taking away from making my team better, from mentoring them, from coaching them, from helping them, from inspiring them, whatever they need. It's all time that I'm wasting thinking about somebody else. And yeah. it's the same kind of concept here. You get hit with a big, I don't know what to do. Right. You can focus on not knowing what to do or you can focus on what opportunities is God putting in your way right now. Right. He's challenging you so that you can take on the next challenge and the next challenge, similar to the 60 grand to 600 grand. Right. If I don't solve the one in my way or I don't focus on the solution, at least then I'm not going to be given that bigger opportunity. And every one of us aspires to be better at something. Right. It's not always money. It could be more freedom in finances, more freedom in geography, more freedom in relationships. But like if I focus on what I don't have and I become the victim all day long, then I have no right to become the victor when God puts the big challenge in my way and says, look, you can be in this room. You can do this deal. You can fly that private jet. You can own a billion dollars in assets. You can have all of that, but you got to get through this. Mm. Right. And so I can focus on failing or I can focus on this. And that's what I choose to focus on. I love that. Where focus goes, energy energy flows. Uh, we got a Facebook comment. That's a big, scary number. But what's a zero? Zero's really nothing. You can add zeros all the time. And we got another one that says, uh, sounds like you have a list of accredited investors that you go to and ask for, for funds, 30% of the total capital. Then do you go to the bank conventional loan or do you go hard money lending? How do you get that 70% that's remaining? Uh, yeah, it's, it's usually uh, construction financing, right? So term to perm, like, you know, a lot of local banks, uh, we have some regional guys that we deal with and that, that are, you know, like, like five different states, 10 different states, whatever it is. So um, yeah, the bank financing side is a whole business on its, in itself. And I have an amazing bank broker, Marcus and Millichap that will literally put together these, um, it's like a story reel, right? They're talking about what it is that, you know, the, 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 bit, the deal looks like, the development team, what our background is, what the upside of the deal is and all that kind of thing. And they go out and secure the uh, the bank debt. 
at that point, it's like a pitch deck almost, right? They're ready to rock and roll. I've yeah. done this deal. Look at this deal. This is the result. Look at this deal. This yeah. is the result. This is a similar deal. This is how we're structuring it. This is who's involved. Would you like to be a part of this money-making activity, right? That's essentially what it sounds like it goes down to. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Let me ask you. Um, so normally when we do the show lately, we do it in the classroom. That's why you got the Business Bros classroom right here, right? So 17-year-old students, these guys are graduating from high school this year, and they're going to enter into the workforce or into the world not always knowing exactly what happens next in life. Take me back to when you were in high school and about to graduate. What kind of student were you, and did you know what the heck you were going to do? Bro, I was a horrible student. I was a, I was a CD, barely graduated high school student. Um, I knew one thing, and that's I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, my dad was the first entrepreneur in our family lineage, and you know he was a drywall contractor turned general contractor, like I said earlier. Um, and I knew my my big goal in life was to like take over his business one day, right? And so uh, I knew I wanted to be in construction. I knew I wanted to learn more, and. Um, Ultimately, I got turned on to the Navy Seabees, the U.S. Navy Seabees, and that's the construction battalions of the Navy. I also had this like calling to serve my country, but I knew that like, I don't want to say I knew it was a short-term thing. I just knew I wanted to do it, but I also I also wanted to own a business. So I didn't know if I was going to do both at the same time or wh where that journey was going to take me. Uh, but inevitably, after I got out of the military, about five years later, I actually bought my dad's business from him and retired him. Um, and made that our full-time general contracting company. And we still own it today. It doesn't doesn't GC for anybody else but us. But, um, you know, that was kind of the, pro the, the process and the transition. Um, but going out of high school, yeah, it was, it, was, it was learn, grow, serve my country, figure out the next steps. That's, I mean, that's awesome. Because I, 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 it's funny, the course that I teach is a math class called financial algebra. And it's the students that didn't do hot in high school, right? So they're in oh, my yeah. class because they need this math credit to graduate. And one of the things that I always promote is, is to let them know, like you didn't fail. It's just school maybe wasn't designed for you. And it's not the end. This is just the beginning. Let me open your door or your eyes to all these opportunities that are about to be presented. And that's why we bring the yeah. business bros into the classroom to literally talk to guys like you to show them that, look, C's and D's, okay, C's get degrees, but D's get diplomas. You need to graduate high school, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that it's over. It's just the beginning. Yeah. What advice would you give to a young entrepreneur just getting started who knows they want to do something as an entrepreneur, but maybe doesn't have a clue what that something's going to be? Yeah, so two, two parts to, to that. I hope, I hope you allow me to go two answers. Number one, I think we all have to understand that we all learn differently. Right. I was terrible at sitting still in a classroom. And if 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 it was 20 years ago today or 30, well, a lot, lot longer than that, they probably would have diagnosed me with 20 different syndromes and gave me all kinds of pharmaceuticals. Right. And that's only because I got bored really easily. Like I wanted to do things. So I learned to do things with my hands. I ended up becoming like the leader of the wood shop, you know, and spent my entire junior and senior year in wood shop because I could work and create with my hands. So I think the important thing is learn how you learn, right? Some of us are kinesthetic. We have to do things. We have to be, it's tactile. We have to get involved. Some of us like to read books and we can learn by actually reading. Um, some of us have to be audible and audible books are great. So I think number one is figure out what makes you learn the best and the easiest. If you have to get hands on and do something artistic and play with clay, then do that, right? And if you're good at reading books, do that. Um, the second thing is I would say, get involved in the things you're passionate about. You know, 
I think too many people, well, I know this for a fact. If your parents are going to pay you to go to college and they're going to pay your whole tuition and they have the cash to write that check and you're not going to have any student debt, dude, go spend four to six years socializing and having fun with friends and learning what's going on in the real world. But if you're going to incur that debt, you're so much better off experiencing life in the things that you can actually get involved in. Go to a mastermind event. Go to a, I remember I went to a rich dad event when I was in the military and, and it was like everything in my savings account just to be in that room and that mastermind because I had a passion for real estate. I had a passion for wanting to learn what they taught. So, you know, volunteer, intern, go work for somebody, call a mentor and ask them to put you to work, right? Because that experience to me is going to be 10 times as impactful than it is to go you know, to college and read a book unless you want to be a doctor or an attorney or a lawyer or someone that I'm sorry, you know, attorney and lawyer, but you know, you want to go do something that requires an advanced degree. Well, then that's fine. Take that road. Right. But if you're just in there to kind of piddle around, you're going to change your your uh, your your um, what do you call it? Your degree seven different times in five years. You know, you're just throwing money out the window and you're not really gaining the experience that you probably ought to be getting doing the thing you love. And this is exactly why I do the show, ladies and gentlemen, because this is the truth. This is the reality that people have experienced in life. I feel like in, I mean, I'm an educator and in our education system, it's always go to school so you can go to college. That is almost the only thing that people pitch. But in reality, that's just not always the case that happens. And literally, I get to talk to Joe to tell you, and Joe's telling you exactly that. It's not that I am anti-education. Education is an absolute must. It's just you got to figure out your version of education, the thing that's going to click for you. Joe, before we head out, man, if people want to reach out to you, they want to learn about uh, what it is that you do, maybe get some executive coaching directly from you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, I mean, they can ping me on Facebook. I'm very active inside of there, inside of uh, uh, there's the social. That's that's the Facebook handle, Instagram, same thing. Just message me. You know, I, I think it sounds like you have a, a younger audience. I love helping people succeed. I love helping people with their ideas. I might not be the right fit for you, and I'll, I'm glad to tell you that when we talk. But, you know, if you're if you're going down a direction and I can make a connection, I'm going to do the best I can to help you out. So, um, yeah, definitely don't, you know, don't feel shy to message me on Facebook, message me on the socials, and, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll chat from there. Perfect, man. Hey, thank you very much for coming on the show today, sharing all those pearls of wisdom. It's definitely a, a venture. Life life is a journey, man. We don't actually know where we're going in the end. All we know is that there's only one way out. So might as well enjoy the time that you're, that you're living here, doing those things you want to do. Uh, any final thoughts before we head out? No, I think you just said it, man. Just have fun with what you're doing and try to find. I, I find I coach way too many people. Um, guys, if I can leave you with one bit of nuggets, you know, people that 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 they they come out and, and they they hire me in their 50s. And their number one like regret is that the last 25 years went by and they didn't do what they wanted to do. You know, and I can't tell you how many coaching clients I have like that where we're literally just trying to reset their switch and have them start to enjoy the journey and the things that they love to do instead of focusing on the grind and what's next right? Do things you love doing and you're passionate about. Don't just settle for a nine to five because it creates a paycheck. If you want to have a nine to five, that's awesome, but do something you love, you know, fo follow your heart because, you know, you don't want to wake up at 50, 60, 70 years old and look back and say, man, why didn't I do it that way? Man, mentors and masterminds, dude, Tony Robbins said it the best, you know, regrets, they just weigh a ton, right? Mm -hmm. Discipline has weight too, but nowhere near the weight of regret. So, 
Just get out there. Live the life that you want to live, the way you want to live it, doing the things you want to do. Everything else will fall into place. Money comes, money goes. It's just part of life. Enjoy it while you can, everybody. Joe, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, what do we got left? Here we go. Facebook users clapping away. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk to you guys on the next one. Joe, thanks for being on. Peace. Thanks for having me. It's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast. But not just any podcast. Podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started today.